Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode 67 of The Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life. Welcome. I hope you're having a fantastic week. And hey, question for you. Have you ever wanted to see the Northern Lights? Have you ever wanted to go dog sledding in the mountains of Norway? Well, I got an adventure for you and I got one slot left on our Norway adventure. It's from October 16th to 21 next month. I would love to have you there. It's uh, all about adventure and it's all about personal growth for you. I'm hosting it with a great friend of mine, Shelley Paxton, who's the former marketing manager of Harley Davidson and now a phenomenal coach. And whether you're looking at just being around other awesome people and networking, whether you want to figure out what to do with your business in the next 90 days or just come and have a shitload of fun with a lot of cool people, this trip may be for you. So send me a message, ask me about Norway. We'll get on a quick call and see if that trip is right for you. Speaking of adventures, uh, my guest today is Steve Sims, and he looks—he makes my Norway adventure look like child's play because he is the king of adventure for the high net worth individuals, for celebrities, and he basically makes really cool shit happen, makes dreams come true for people. Is that a fair assessment, Steve Sims? Yeah, I've often said that I spend rich people's um, money to give them better cocktail stories. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that. What I think of you, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. Welcome. I read your book as soon as it came out. It had a big lead in and there was a lot of promotion around it last year. And a couple of my friends you know, in the coaching industry were talking about it. And I got the copy as soon as it was launched. And I loved it. And I've been following you ever since. Because when I think of you, I think of three things. I think authenticity. There's only one Steve Sims in the world. I think thank of, God. Of, <laughs> I think of Hustler in the best possible way, you know, entrepreneur, scrappy, just taking action, doing what's got to be done. And I think uh, a master communicator, whether it's uh, PR or whether it's figuring out exactly what a client wants, you know about communication. Is that a fair assessment of Steve Sims? Nah, you know, you had me, you had me at the first two and then you lost me on the last one. You know, funny enough, I was doing a TV show in London and they actually, as you do, as you do, and they would do. They did the exact same thing you said. You know, they did this brilliant lead-in, and then, in fact, did you see the interview? I didn't. I thought I was being original. I, well, you, you kind of were, but the last question was the, or the last statement was the exact same thing. They turned around and they turned around. And they went, and you're a master communicator. And I said to him, I said, you know, I'm not. It's just that everyone else has become so shit at it, I look mm. brilliant. And so up. I agreed with your first two elements, but even a crappy hamburger is going to win an award when it's compared to even worse hamburgers. But, you know, you throw out quotes like that, and that's one thing you've become renowned for is these brilliant little one-liners. To me, that's master <laughs> communication. You're proving my point even while you're trying not to prove my point. Okay, then you win. You can win that one. <laughs> Thanks. Um, guys, uh, if you're just tuning in, I'm with Steve Sims. He is the uh, founder of a company called Bluefish and also the author of the book Bluefishing, which is all about uh, what I would say, Steve, attracting high net worth clients and uh, celebrities and making people's dreams come true. That's what it is at, at the essence and giving them good cocktail stories. Yeah, when I think of you know authenticity, there's so much shit out there, like you appropriately said, that we're drowning in information and content, yet uh, you really stand out from the crowd. What, what are some of your 
tips, tricks? What are some of the the moves, some of the rules that you've used to stand out in an incredibly crowded market? These are incredibly detailed and complex. So anyone out there is going to need to sit down with a good glass of Japanese whiskey and analyze these things. But take notes. Take notes heavily. I just be me. I turn up and I play me. And I was stunned. And I'm kind of fortunate. I'm very fortunate in my ignorance and lack of education in this coaching, motivational world because I came in the back door. So all of my clients are the richest, most powerful people in the world. I took on four clients last year. Every single one of them was a billionaire. You know, you don't have to have 10,000 clients. You just need the right clients. And one thing that I noticed was all of these people still shit in the morning. They still moaned about their breakfast. They still drank coffee. They still stubbed their toe. They still worked until 11 o'clock at night. They were just the same people, just with massive bank accounts. And all of them, big failures, which is what I like. And I'll get into that in a second. But I think failure is the key to success. You don't get success without the failure. And so when people started discovering me, I was already me with credibility. I didn't need to pretend to be anyone. I didn't need to go on stage wearing a $5,000 suit and wearing an Audemars Peugeot Royal Oak and just going, hey, I flip houses and I made $10 billion. And basically, all of these statements and these these logos, which no one's going to check up on. You know, I've had people. I had one girl go on stage um, at an event, and she said she was the number one producer in the, um, and it was, I'll make it up because I can't remember what it was. It pissed me off. She said, I'm the number one producer in the CBEMI uh, category for the last 17 years. Wow. I'm the number one and everyone goes, woo, and all, you know, I see, very impressive. So she gets off the stage and I said to her, you, you, you used an accolade. You threw that out there that you were the number one producer in this CBEMI thing, what it was. There's a bunch of initials. I said, what, what, what is that? She said, I set up a award 15 years ago, and I've awarded myself every year. And I said, so no one else even knows it. She said, no, no, no. She said, I just, I set it up. I granted myself the first one. So every year I award myself. Every year I send out an email saying that I've been an award. I'm like, are you fucking getting bullshit? And she was like, look at my audience. My audience love me. Like, and I said, yeah, but they're, they're clapping bullshit. I said, you know, when I go home and I sleep my head on, on the bed, I go to sleep the same person as I wake up. You're full of it and you're making money. That's Sorry, girl, but that's fraud. And she had no care about it. So the bottom line of it is I turn up, I am fully aware there are going to be people that go, I don't like him. He's crass. He's raw. You know, he's rough around the edges. He's not as stunningly good looking as he thinks he is, which I am. Um, yeah, there's there's the worst thing, of course. Um, I won an award for it from the CBEMI 15 years running. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, best looking person. But uh, I, I always want to just be me. And here's the thing that really should get everyone out there. You're, you've got iPhones or you've got cell phones. And these cell phones, you use a lot. You get a lot out of them. And their batteries diminish throughout the day, don't they? 
So we're always very close to having a charger to recharge those cell phones, okay? We also have a battery. We also get tired. We spend all of our day doing a lot of work, and then we need to go and grab a coffee or have a lay down or go out and have a drink or something. We need to generate how much of that personal battery do you want to be wasting being someone you're not? Now, when I turn up to a meeting, I'm me. It takes zero effort to be me. Now I've got 100% Sims battery life to focus on you. And so the easy thing is just be you. It's ridiculous. And here's the dumb thing. Any entrepreneur turns around and goes, well, I want to brand myself. I want to be unique. I want to stand out. You already are. But you dilute yourself to become like every other vanilla thing out there. So if you try to, if you try to stop being somebody else, then you're unique. The problem I see with that is most people don't know who they are. Oh, yeah, okay, we're getting deep now, but you are correct. They don't know who they are, and they're frightened to be who they are. Because the trouble is, we're in a social world. Every, every five years, we've got a problem. Uh, you know, people are going, oh, the millennials, oh, social platforms. You know, every, every short period, we face a new problem. This is just the one now. We need to pivot, we need to edit, and that's how hustlers stay alive. You know, the richest guy on a rainy day is the guy selling umbrellas. So what we need to do is we need to look away from that insta-perfect life and go, well, okay, that's bullshit. No one's life is like that. And I saw a quote Grant Cardone threw out a while ago. I think he said that no one with a private jet has ever shown, uh, has ever shown themselves uh, with a selfie on it. Um, and I just thought, oh, that, that, that's absolutely brilliant. That's so good. they're looking at everyone else's life and they're frightened to step out because if you're successful, and I mentioned this earlier, you are a serial failure. You failed and failed and failed. Elon Musk, pleasure and proud to know the gentleman. How many times did he screw up that bloody rocket trying to land vertically? You know? The thing is, quite simply, I don't know. I can't remember, but I remember the one time it landed properly. Okay? So it failed until it didn't. And now all you remember is the success that he had. So... Keep failing, fail regular, fail hard, and fail up. So was there a time where, you know, I don't know when you started meeting influencers, billionaires, celebrities, was there a time that they did intimidate you? Or have you always felt like, I'm just being me, and who gives a shit? So this is where my ignorance comes into it again. Um, <laughs> I class myself as an educated man, but I've often said school had nothing to do with that. Yeah, I love so, that. I feel the same way. Yeah, most, most entrepreneurs do. When I started meeting powerful people, like for a start, I started my, uh, my business in the 90s. And I was just the guy that got shit done. When you wanted something, when you wanted a Hermes bag, when you wanted to jump the queue of a limited edition Ferrari coming out, if you wanted to get into a Hollywood award show, you came and saw me. It got developed into this international concierge firm, but it started off with I was the guy that got. Simple as that. Hmm. So I'm dealing with people with money. I didn't have the privilege at the time of Googling them. So I didn't know who the bloody hell they were. You know, you want this. I think it's going to be about 60 grand. Here's my bank account details. Stick the money in there and I get it. End of conversation. If the money landed, I knew they were serious. I went and did. And that's how my business grew. And so before, and I, I remember this. I remember the position that you're getting to or the, from the statement. I remember walking into a party once in Monaco with this gentleman. There had been a client of mine, uh, still is, but up until that time, maybe about four years. 
we had gone out riding motorcycles. We had gone to some shitty bars. You know, we'd, we'd done some stuff that I can't quote on a bloody podcast. And then I walk into an event with him in Monaco. And there was, for a start, there was a bunch of publicists out the front and press trying to take pictures of him. We get inside, and we had some of the biggest names in there. I remember Trump was in there. Arnold Schwarzenegger was in there. They all started talking to him. And I was like, who the hell are you? And he was like, you know me, I'm, I'm X. And I was like, yeah, all right. So I went off to the bar, and I got this. And this girl came up to me, wanted me to introduce her to him. And uh, wanted me to introduce her to him. And I was like, well, I, you know, who is the guy? And she started to tell me that basically he was one of the wealthiest men in the planet. And I had no idea. So I realized two things. The benefit had been that I hadn't contorted myself when I first met him knowing this. Yeah. I had just been me. Now I was established with this man. Funny enough, that party knocked me on to about 20 or 30 other clients because this is Steve. And I still, I pull up, I was in Malibu. I told you before the call, I had breakfast in Malibu. What I didn't tell you was I was with uh, a film financier. I don't know how much his house is worth. $50 million overlooking the, the mountains. Malibu, the uh, an old motorcycle. I've got an old, I've got a bunch of bikes. I've got this Harley Davidson there, pulled up to the thing. Yeah, I'm here to see him drive up. You know, it's the kind of driver that takes you 10 minutes just to drive up the driveway. And I'm just pulling up in a black T-shirt, jeans. I haven't even shaved, as you can see, and I'm in there to get shit done. So the fact that I was You're launching your film career, Steve Sims? Yeah. And the, the fact that I wasn't intimidated at the beginning was fortunate because now I'm past the intimidation stage. Mm. Had that happened in the early stages and I suddenly started realizing who I was dealing with and how affluent they were, you're right. I, I may well have started to go, ooh. The biggest problem was actually me not getting intimidated with the people. But about seven years into working with all these people, getting intimidated by me. Um, I actually, and I don't know what happened, but I woke up one day and I thought to myself, am I good enough to be working with these people? You know, I wasn't intimidated by one particular individual, but I was suddenly starting to doubt myself, like all entrepreneurs. When something's working, what does an entrepreneur do? They find a way to fuck it up. We do that. And I suddenly started doubting myself. And I started, it was the first time in my life I actually bought a car and tried to wear suits and try to look smooth and slick, which is not a pretty picture. And I started being someone who I wasn't. Hmm. And my business started changing and it started to become uncomfortable and friction appeared. And there's nothing good that comes out of friction. Friction, friction is the only good thing on a motorcycle for friction is brakes. And there's nothing good about stopping. So I try to avoid all friction in my life whatsoever. But during this period of my self-doubt, there was an amount of friction and grind going on in my life. And luckily, I caught it in time that I could get rid of it. But wasn't intimidated with my clients, but I became intimidated with me. Yeah, I saw you, you posted a quote from Joe Polish, I think, earlier in the week saying about there comes a point when entrepreneurs or you know people start to get a bit of a reputation, they get on TV, and then they start to slip a little bit. They start yeah. to get a bit cocky. Yeah, there's a ton of people that see. I'm a great believer in keeping things yes or no, one or two. You know, I like to give people two options, and I'm a great believer in today's overly saturated motivational community 
and world. Well put. We're split up between whoers and doers. Okay. There's the whoer that jumps up there because they read 400 books and they can regurgitate what other people have said. <laughs> and then there's the guy and girl that jumps up there and says, hey, I took my company from this. It went bankrupt three times and now it's this. Do you want to listen to me? And my answer to that is like, hell fucking yes, every single day of my life. But the whoers who are there just because they've read all these wonderful books and they've listened to every podcast that Tim Ferriss has ever done, you know, I, I don't have the time of day for those people. And they sadly get a massive following from, and again, I'll be blunt, nine times out of ten, the uneducated, and they buy into it. They suddenly see that they've got, you know, 4,000 followers, and they go, whoa, brilliant. The day you can walk into a bar and pay your bar tab with Facebook likes, I'm impressed with your following. Until then, if it doesn't translate, it's worthless. Yeah, yeah, great advice. Guys, if you're just tuning in, I'm with Steve Sims of Bluefish and author of Blue Fishing. If you've got any questions for him, or if you're even watching this uh, after the live recording, you can still put a comment uh, in there, and hopefully Steve might drop back later on and, and answer it. I really, uh, I really love the point that you're that you're touching on there. And one thing I've I've heard that you say over and over and over again is you've got to get over this fear of embarrassing yourself, or this yeah. this this fear of failing. And I think that's what separates what you said the doers and the what was the other one the doers and the the whoers. <laughs> yeah, it's just that ability to embarrass yourself, make mistakes, and keep going. Yeah, if you think about the you know, like a modern day whoer is um, you know, like Kim Kardashian. She didn't do anything. She was Kim Kardashian. She's now got the money to do stuff, but she's a famous who. And uh, so there's a lot of famous who's out there in the uh, in the circuit, shall we say, that get up there because they're, they're regurgitating other people's information. Yeah, brilliant. When you're dealing with uh, these people, like I, I get that you have to be yourself and that's um, worked for you, but I imagine there's also a part of you that really, I've heard you talk a lot about doing your homework. There's a part of you that really understands the wants and needs of the high net worth demographic. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into what might be different about uh, that type of clientele that we might not realize, apart from the fact that they are just like everybody else? Um, yes, and let's break it down better for you. The more financial you get, the more in a position of power following that you become the more you learn to distrust people that come to you. If you don't have a lot of money and you work in the local 7-Eleven you know, packing bags and someone starts a conversation with you at the bus stop, you have a conversation, okay? If you're the head of a Fortune 500 company and you are regarded as a, as a major entrepreneur and you have a big following and someone starts talking to you, you know, at a bar, at a restaurant, you know, at a bus stop, whatever, you're now suddenly concerned that this person is after something because you get trained that people try to ride the coattails, okay? Whenever I've met these successful people, I'm very fortunate as I've grown that I come with an incredible amount of credibility. I have closed down museums and set up tables and had Andrea Bocelli come in. I have had drum lessons with Guns N' Roses. I have walked every red and white carpet you can think of, you know, with Elton John through to, you know, major fashion weeks in Paris. It's all documented. I've got that, that credential there. I've got that toolbox. 
But when you go into that conversation, I can tell you that those people straight off the bat distrust you. So you're starting, you, you're starting from behind. Yeah, 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 you are. So what you've got to do, and I've had it as well, I can only expose my credibility to you once I'm having a conversation with you, yeah. okay? So it's the exact same for me as it is for any of you listeners trying to get in front of powerful people. Now, I'm trying to get in front of heads of states, billionaires, zillionaires. I'm trying to get in front of these people. So I make sure that I'm in a peer uh, a peer circle. So if I'm trying to get a hold of a certain XYZ gentleman uh, or lady, I find out where do they go. What's their interests? You can stalk the shit out of it. You know, you can look up the images. You suddenly That's a good see part about them. They're pretty popular. Yeah. You can look into it. You see that they're with a bunch of horses. Well, they like equestrian. Um, the Kentucky Derby. It's having a private party. It's a charitable event. I'll buy a ticket. I'll go in there. Now, um, a lot of people try to get real front row seats at these galas. No. Get the table nearest the toilet because I guarantee you there are two places that everyone goes during a party, through the front door and to the toilet. And when you're sat at the table near the toilet and all of a sudden you see the person you want to get up, go. Nine times out of ten of these galas, there's either going to be a queue outside the toilet. So what does everyone do when that happens? They quickly go to the bar to get another drink while they're waiting. Okay? So these are great loiter places. I know it sounds freaky, but that's exactly what it is. Then you can go to the bar and you can order a drink. And if the person next to you that you want to speak to is ordering a drink, you can go, what did you just drink? What did you just order? Don't go, oh, hey, you know, it's a pleasure to meet you. Here's my business card. You go, what did you just order? Oh, I ordered a, a, a cherry and a cherry and mum. I've never heard of that before. Um, yeah, I'll try one of those. I'll try. And you just start communication. And um, then you can easily turn around and go, uh, oh, yeah, I know who you are. My name's Steve. Pleasure to meet you. How are you doing with the party? Just be relatable. Speak to them on that level. Stop doing the kind of, oh, you know, it's a real pleasure to meet you. And so <laughs> got to focus on where they're going to be, and then you can start conversing with them. And then when you start making headway with them, just go, I want to continue this. Let's exchange digits. I'll give you a call in a week. You know, act as though you deserve to be here, because here's the one thing that's important. Everyone thinks I deal with the rich and famous. The rich and famous make up about 5% of my client bank. I work with the richer and unknown. Hmm. Now, whenever you go to a Hollywood party, there may be 50 celebrities in there. You don't know the guy who owns the studio that netted $35 million last year. You don't know the guy that actually puts up the money for Brad Pitt to actually be in that movie. You don't know that you're in front of the agent the head of the agency that represents all of the major celebrities in the planet. You don't know those people. Hmm. They don't know you. Okay. So when you're in that room and you're talking and you're comfortable and you're confident, because again, you're not trying to be someone else. You're just being you, you know, then that kind of like, who the hell is this guy? You know, and they don't know who you are. You know who they are. You are actually now ahead of the curve. Because you're in the same room as them and you're talking to them like a normal person that, that pees and poos in the exact same places that you do. And they love that. Do, do you know the daft thing is? It's refreshing. A lot of people say to me, how do you market to the, to the rich and famous? Oh, well, that's, that's, really, uh, that's really tough. <laughs> I send them a letter, you know. 
I send them a book. In fact, you can't, maybe I can do this. Can you, I'm actually working out of my son's bedroom at the moment because I'm having my garage built. Can there's you see those books? on the bed, right? Right. There's a pile of books on the bed there, ranging from a couple of Dan Browns, uh, an Ari Mizell, Tim Larkin, a whole bunch of books on there from people that I know. And in the books, I'm actually going to write little things and I'm going to send them to people. And it'll be a case of, hey, Nathan, I was at this event. I saw this book. Um, I remember our conversation. I really like the book. Maybe it can help you. All the best, Steve. Okay? And I'll send them a book. It'll have my hand right in the middle of it, and that'll be it. So that's how you market to the most powerful. Now, here's the thing. Wrap it yourself. Okay? I don't always wrap it. To be honest with you, I have my kids wrap it because they're even worse at it than I am. So it shows that it's a real person. When the secretary gets that wrapped up book with a handwritten address on it and a stamp, she's not going to open it. Why? Because she thinks it's personal. Mm. It goes straight through to the guy who rips it up, and the closing rate of me getting contacted back is up in the 90% because they just get it and they're like, oh, thanks for the book. You know, How did you come across this? Actually, I know the author. If you like the book, I'd be happy to organize a chance for you to have a little chat on the phone. And Brilliant. they're like, oh, you're bringing so much value. You're going in there with something, which is the essence. Every conversation you go into, you know you want to speak to that person. The person you're talking to knows you want something. So very quickly turn around and go, hey, aren't you launching a book? Aren't you launching a movie? Aren't you uh, doing this? Aren't you doing this? Do you know I've got an idea how I may be able to help you with that? You know, you're showing that you've done your homework and you're actually bringing value to the conversation. And those are the keys. You just reminded me because I was on a flight the other day and there was a, in the in-flight magazine, there was a whole thing on all the hot new bars in Hong Kong, some part of Hong Kong. And uh, I think I thought of you at the time. But I, I've got a friend in Hong Kong, so I ripped it out. Because I'm an out. alcoholic. Mainly because of the alcohol problem, yeah. But I ripped it out. It's and not sent a problem. It to, <laughs> it's a solution. Yeah. Yeah, I ripped the page out and sent it to a friend of mine in Hong Kong, wrote a note saying, hey, cool new bars, you should go and check them out. And I just realized that was from you. I got that from yeah. Bluefish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I used to do that all the time, but then they bloody stopped SkyMall. I used to get these magazines, and I used to – because SkyMall used to have the dumbest crap that people had ever invented with the idea that the altitude mixed with alcohol is actually going to make you buy that manatee-shaped foam. And <laughs> just the shit that was in this magazine was hysterical. And I would just rip it out, and I'd be sitting there and go, like, Nathan, you moved into your new house. I really think you need a flying dolphin mailbox. And, just, you send it. and, of course, when it's folded up, in fact, so you're, you're, looking, for, you're looking for high impact, simple, raw ways of communicating with people. So I travel a lot, okay? And so what I do is every time I go anywhere, I go to the hotel and I go, look, I need stationery. So I get stationery. If you can't make that out, there says the Hotel Californian Santa Barbara, and they give me that stationery, and they give me the paper. I will write a little note on there going, hey, Nathan, I was away for a couple of days, but I was thinking of our last conversation. When's a good time to reach out to you? Text me on this number, and let's set up a time to chat. I will put it in here, and when you fold it like that, it's squidgy. It's not a fulfillment center. It's not like a bloody phone bill where they press it so hard you could basically slice a melon, flat, it's, yeah. it's shown that it's a real-life person. And again, when you send it to them, and this is the good thing, 
How many letters do you get per day in your letterbox? Uh, I, I can't remember. One from the bank, maybe a month. Just imagine you get a handwritten one from the Waldorf Astoria, the Californian in Santa Barbara, the yeah. same regions in New York or Hong Kong. You get, and you're thinking of it and you're going, who the hell do I know in Santa Barbara? Who the hell write, sent me this letter? They open it and you've got them. Yeah. I mean, is it, this is the kind of thing that's in the book, Blue Fishing, is really practical advice. Like it's not just a ton of uh, uh that you said the who is and the doers. I get that right. Yeah, it's not, no, it's, it's not it's, a bunch of rubbish and motivational quotes. It's practical stuff about how to actually reach people like this. I'm not a motivator. Um, well, you motivate I, me. No, I activate you. No, um, I think what has happened because it's been proved already by your statement of sending that Hong Kong uh, bar thing. I don't ever want to be the whoer. If I'm the whoer, get up there and slap the shit out of me. I want to be the guy that goes up there and says, look, if a bricklayer from East London can do this, you're out of excuses. And so that's that's my bit. I want to walk on stage. I want to walk into a consultant agreement. I want to walk onto a Skype or onto this Facebook Live and to give you something that made you uh, more impactful, sharper, smarter, afterwards than before you came into the conversation now that to me is activation yes tremendous uh there's a question here from peter that i want to touch on you know something that i'm really passionate about and when it comes to celebrities and the type of clients that i like to work with is uh the amount of suicide depression addiction that we see in a lot of these people and it's been quite publicized over the last few years it's very public suicides peter asks, what's the relation between money and happiness in your opinion because you're around a lot of these people. I am. And sadly, I've met some incredibly miserable, rich people. And I've met some uh, very, very, very happy poor people. I am a great believer in not so much the money and happiness, but the rich and wealthy. Okay? Now, you can play with it either side you like. But for me, rich is how many, uh, how many digits you've got in your bank account. You know, how much your house is wealthy is being able to phone someone up at two o'clock in the morning because you've got a problem and you need someone to talk to. Wealthy is when you're in a room having dinner with people that you can trust to have your back to. Wealthy about is looking at your circle and going, I love these people. I love what I do. I love who I am. We've sadly seen a lot of celebrities bringing attention to the suicide because when you become a celebrity, and I, I have met an incredible amount of celebrities, celebrities don't grow alone. You know, as they get bigger, they end up with promotional managers, managers, associate managers, associates to associates to interns. There's, all, there's suddenly a circus around them that ends up pushing them down roads and conforming and contorting to who they really are. And they become distracted. And the celebrity, if you ever want to be a celebrity, think twice. Because people come up to you all the time, wanting, 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 very rarely giving. And there's nothing more lonely than becoming a celebrity. Um, and that's the celebrity aspect. But in the world we are now, we need to differentiate between money and wealth. They are two different things. I've got some boys in England, big shout out to my boy Colin. Uh, he's probably going to slap me for this. 
He's not the richest financial person in the planet, but he's got boys he can trust. He's got kids that are beautiful, they've grown up, they've left home, and they've been cared for and nurtured, and they're safe because of him. He's a wealthy guy. And I see pictures of him hanging out with his boys, riding bikes, drinking whiskey, loving his kids, with his grandkids. Boy's wealthy. He ain't got a lot of money. He's not buying a house in Malibu, but he's sure shit wealthier than a ton of people I know that are incredibly rich. So you've got to focus on your wealth. You spend what money can do for you and do against you. And I had that moment where I bought a car and used the money I had to change me to try and be someone I thought you would like more. I sold my soul to my bank account. Mm -hmm. And now I turn up raw, me, 100%. You like it? Great. You don't like it? I'll move on. I don't take offense when people don't like me. Not at all. So I'm a great believer in focusing on the difference between money and wealth. Brilliant. And Donna said, love the difference between motivating and activating. That's a great distinction. Uh, Peter says, great insight. Seems like an upgraded version of how to make friends and influence people. And how you feel about that. And uh, <laughs> I need to start re- writing handwritten letters. Yeah, the handwritten letters are brilliant. You know, there's too many people out there that um, use email for everything. And I yeah. want to tell everybody listening, email is the best way to market. Please keep doing it because I'm lying to you. And it makes me look even better because I don't use it. I text. I text and I handwrite letters and I video text all the time. And once we've conversed, I'll send you a letter based on the bullet points from the conversation I had. So we all have a record. But no, I don't use email marketing a, a, a lot. We used to do no email Tuesday, where no matter what came into your inbox, you responded to the person in any other manner, okay? You were not allowed to return an email. You were allowed to do something really stupid with these iPhones called phone them. And here's the daft thing. You phone up your client and you go, Nathan, I got your email, but I wanted to speak with you on the phone to find out if there was any points that I was missing or wasn't coming across. So can you explain it to me again? Now, here's the challenge. When you've ever done that with anybody, has there not been something to come out there was not in the email that you got? And the answer is everyone's out there going, yes, that's correct. Because you don't always put everything in the email that you're feeling, you're thinking, you're sensing, you're considering, you're contemplating. But when you're having a conversation, you go, okay, you've given me the basics. Let's go two ways. Let's start back and front. Why do you want to do this? And then while they're talking, you can go, well, hang on a minute. If that's the game you're trying to make, why don't we do it this way? We can make it cheaper or we can make it more effective or make it more impactful or make it based on charity. Why don't we go that? Well, all of a sudden, from that conversation, you're going down a completely different path. I've openly said that when it's in the experiential market, I have never, ever, ever given someone anything that they've asked for. I've given them what they needed and desired. Yeah, this is where your world and my world kind of overlap as a, a coach, is my job is to find the why behind the why and find out what somebody truly wants. Because uh, a lot of times, and I think, you know, the, the conversation about the Playboy Mansion with the guy coming out from New York kind of comes up for me when I think about this. But most people, uh, they think about their current situation and then they think linearly, what could I achieve from here? 
So I'm earning 100,000. Oh, my dream would be to earn 180,000, something like that. Whereas my job is to go, okay, well, don't think linearly. Let's go a little bit deeper. And what do you really, really want? If you had a magic wand, what would you really, truly desire? And when I read your book, I saw, oh, Steve does exactly the same thing when he's doing experiences. Yeah, there's no difference. There's, and we can even break it down further. The thing that me and you have in common, apart from styling, good looks, and funny accents, is... Um, Thank you for acknowledging that. You're welcome. Fine. Um, is that uh, we communicate. And that is the key. You see the beautiful thing, and it goes back to the beginning of the conversation. At the beginning of the conversation, you called me a master communicator, and we brought up a disagreement about that. We can both agree that the planet's getting really bad at communicating. You see, you've got Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook Messenger, and I don't know how many new platforms I get invited to every bloody day to join, which is where the elite go. But we're given all these platforms in order to communicate. The truth of the matter is we've been given these platforms to communicate badly and briefly. They are not true one-on-one communications. And so if you can just do what you were doing since the age of bloody two years old and actually respond and react and get in the face of people, you end up with relationships that are very, very, very strong. And I don't care what you say. Screw cryptocurrency. Screw Bitcoin. The greatest ROI is in relationships. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I might be, this might be bad for business to say this, but I, um, I noticed myself uh, more fearful about using the phone. And I grew up before the internet. The internet got installed in my house when I was about 15. I remember the day. And so we used to use the landline before then. There was no cell phones. But I noticed with email, uh, Facebook message, everything else, that I'm reluctant to pick up the phone even now. Even like a little bit scared to talk on the phone. It's embarrassing to even say that. But I think that's a lot of where the world's gone is we've just become uh, conditioned to that kind of text communication. Yeah, you're right, but there's a way of getting over it. And sorry, I just got distracted. I saw what the hell I look like on your Facebook page there. You know, so, um, God, that was scary. Um, I agree with you. And the simple fact is that a lot of people now, they don't want to make phone calls because we've also become, we've become tuned to the fact that a phone call is an interruption. You know, you're, you're working, you're talking to your friends, and all of a sudden the phone goes, and you're like, whoa, you know, you don't care if it's your mum, you don't care if it's your girlfriend. It's annoying. I haven't had this phone ring, um, I don't know, for maybe since my iPhone 1. Because the first day I got it, the first button that I really loved was the vibrate button. You know, I turned the volume on and it's on vibrate. That way is not as offensive. But I am fully aware of flow state. That moment when you're actually working, I don't want to be the cause for disrupting it. Okay. So, what I do to get over your phone phobia and to actually maximize the impact of my next communication with you is I will literally go to my camera, I'll hold it up, and I go, Hey, Nathan, uh, I've got a few things I want to discuss with you. I'm in my house at the moment, and I may be on the beach, I may be in a restaurant, you know, always get an interesting location, my garage with all my motorcycles. And I'll be like, hey, uh, I want to talk to you about this. Um, is it all right if I call you back? You know, it's 10 past 12 now. Can I call you at 1 o'clock? Let me know if you get this. Thanks, pal. Bye. Text it to the person, okay? Now, what happens when you send a video text? A little picture comes up on the phone of you going, 
you know? It's interesting, and they listen to it. See, here's, here's the quiz for you again. Anyone that's listening to this is getting solid gold today, by the way. Um, you're on fire. Ah, there you go. I said I'd bring it, didn't I? Yeah. Um, how many emails do you get a day? A hundred. Right. How many texts do you get a day? couple. What do you answer first, text or email? Uh, text. End of conversation. If you text it, people always answer texts first. There's a video of you. So now they've got your enthusiasm. They've got the glint in your eyes. They've got the passion behind it. If I texted you and go, can I call you at 1 o'clock, okay, you have to type it. If I video and go, hey, can I call you at 1 o'clock, you got so much more in that video. And plus the fact videos have no spell check and they don't care about my grammar. So it's far easier to do a quick video than it is to actually type someone with your little thumbs. Um, it gets more of you across. It gets more of the communication across of who you actually are. Um, and I do that a lot. I very rarely phone someone before I've done that video text. But the video text, I do a great deal of time. Brilliant. Solid goal. Uh, and that should get you over your phone phobia because then they're inviting you to phone it. They're like, yeah, one o'clock's great. The amount of my clients that have got used to the fact of just like doing a video back and going, all right, Sims, yeah, one o'clock's good, and just sending it. And I've ended up with some some incredible texts. And I get these texts from these people, and I'm like, I can't believe it. You know, the head of so-and-so, it's just video texting me or something. And emojis, you know, these stupid emojis where you can make them look like yourself, you know. I'll often send these, and I'm sending like, the head of a country, a stupid promoter, <laughs> me with a balloon going, very excited, you know, just, I just, Brilliant. I just have fun with it. The head of a country, I love that. Casual conversation. Uh, Holly says, uh, uh, I love the video idea and I love Steve's accent. A video from him would make my day any day. Shout out to Holly. Can I do a quick rapid fire with you, Steve? There's a couple of, uh, a couple of phrases here I want to mention and just get, get your reaction uh, as I mention them. Uh, no one ever drowned from falling in the water. So you've got to get the context behind that. I'm 240 pound of ugly. Um, <laughs> and my dad is a big Irish construction worker. So when I left school back in those days, I left when I was 15, um, couldn't spell college, let alone go to it. I went straight from school onto the building site. And I was, I was walking down the street. My dad used to smoke like a chimney, and he would light up other cigarettes before he'd finish this one. It was that period of, of the generations. As we're walking down the road, he puts his hand on my shoulder. As I say, I'm like at 13, 14 years old, something like that. I'm young teens. Puts his hand on my shoulder, did not look at me, still smoking a cigarette. And he just goes, son, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. Drops his cigarette, lights up another one, carries on walking. I'm stood there by the side of the road going... Modern-day philosopher. Yeah, I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck was that? You know, I, I was completely blown away as to what that had anything to do with absolutely anything. But it was amazing how I got into my early 20s. And this is where, funny enough, it does tack it back into your wealth. I came from a family that we never in my entire life, up until the, the age when I left home at 18, never had takeaway food, okay? Mm. Because it was an expense. We, we couldn't afford those things. I was very bitter 
up until the early 20s of my childhood because we were so poor. It wasn't until my, because I would come home from school and then my mum would drive me over to my dad's house, uh, to my dad's building site, and I'd work on the building site until nine o'clock at night, cleaning up and stuff. I was bitter in my early 20s because I thought we were so poor. It wasn't until my mid-20s that I realized how wealthy I was and how everything they ingrained in me gave me the strength and the ability to win. And I realized then I had one of the wealthiest upbringings. I didn't have a Range Rover. I didn't eat steak. But I had one of the wealthiest upbringings that gave me an unfair advantage to conquer anything that I was focused on. So that was, that's where it all came from. The chug test. Chug test. Do you remember I told you earlier in this podcast about how I lost myself and I bought a car and I put suits on and stuff? I started hanging around with a lot of people that I thought would be good for my business. They were actually detrimental because they were all as big a flake as I was at the time. And I was throwing a party in Monaco. And I've, I've still got this picture. I, I've always, I've never shared it, but I may actually post it on your thing. Um, awesome. Because I'm enjoying the conversation here. Thanks. Uh, but uh, let me see if I can really find this thing. I had this uh, party that I was doing at the Monaco Grand Prix. And I bought a car, I bought suits. And it was on a massive great yacht. And it looked absolutely fantastic. And what I did was I actually backed up my car to have a photograph taken at the yacht next to it. And the only reason I did that was because the yacht next to me was bigger. Okay, um, it's actually not letting me post this picture, so I'll post it at a different time. The yacht was bigger, but I had this picture of me with a Ferrari wearing a suit outside this yacht that I wasn't even hosting the party on. So I get back to my home. I was living in Geneva, Switzerland at the time, and it was off that period where you took your roll of film out of camera, you put it in one of those little envelopes, and sometime within the next century, you got your photographs back. Well, so I did that, and I got these photographs back, and I'm flicking through these pictures of how important I am and where I am and who I'm knocking around with. And this picture showed up of me leaning against the car. I suddenly realized that it wasn't me. I suddenly realized I wasn't in that picture. I had lost me. I would, that was not me. You know, I ride motorcycles. I got earrings. I'd even shaved. You know, that wasn't who I am. I reached for my bottle of whiskey. And I think over the next, I locked the door of my office and I stayed in there for three days and I went into a downward spiral could have been worse thankfully I'm here to tell about it but you know I, I went on a bender and I woke up on the third day and I thought I'm not going to be there and I put all the suits in the back I had someone come down and pick up the car and I got rid of it and I thought to myself you would have thought that I'd never want to drink ever again but I thought to myself I don't want anyone in my circle that I'm not willing to just chug a beer with. And I came up with this really deep philosophy, which as all of you will realize now is about as simple as impactful as a brick in the head. I came up with this philosophy that you're walking up the road and it's a high street. And on the opposite side of the high street is someone in your circle, a friend, a vendor, a partner, a loved one, member of the family, someone in your circle. Do this test and now walk in the other way. As you're walking up the high street, they have not seen you, but you've seen them. Do you, A, quickly look to the left, look in that window and pretend as though you're really interested in buying a new mattress. Look for that reflection and walk by, then turn around and carry on with your walk. Or do you 
run across the road, jump in front of them and go, Nathan, how you doing? Let's go chug a whiskey, grab a coffee. If it's not B, get them out of your life, okay, because they're cancerous. And so I literally made lists of anyone that was in my world, my accountant, the guy that did my business cards, my plumber, my gardener, you know, members of my family, my staff, all went onto this list. And you can look at that list and you can go, well, who am I comfortable with? Who am I not? And there are people in your circle that you go, oh, God, Johnny's going to ask me a question again today. I hate it when bloody Johnny asks me a question. Here's the thing. You'll answer Johnny's question, okay? And then Mildred, who you actually really like, she'll walk over to you and you'll go, what is it, Mildred? You'll give her attitude for the shitty conversation you had with the prick Johnny. It's cancer. It goes around. And then Mildred's going to go off going, well, that's Steve. He's not very friendly, you know? And if people are close to you, and we've all had this, you've had a bad phone call with someone, you put the phone down, your wife or girlfriend phones up or your mum, someone close to you, your best friend, and you go, oh, what is it, Nathan? I'm, I'm busy. And then they call you out. They go, whoa, where did that come from? I don't deserve that. And that's when you turn around and you go, Nathan, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm having a bad – no, you're right. You don't deserve it. They call you out because they're close enough. Those that are not close enough just hang up the phone and never call you again because you're a shit. That bad conversation has just killed a relationship. Cancer you can't cure by tablets and a good wish. You've got to cut it out. It's going to leave scars, but you'll be happier for it. So the chug test is that. In fact, can I promote, can I promote my video? Yeah, good timing. It, it, it's, it's not for sale, okay? But if you text, and I'll put it in the notes here, if yeah. you text, or you can, ugly works to 345345, or you go on stevedsims.com and you sign up for the newsletter, I actually did a video from my garage purely on the chunk test. And if you do that, it'll actually come through to you. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I realize again that I, how many things you've influenced me with because uh, you're a whiskey and beer guy. I'm a red wine guy because I'm from New Zealand. And uh, I think of it the same way. I think, would I want to have a steak dinner and my favorite bottle of red wine with this person once a week for the next year? If I'm thinking about taking on a new client, do I want to work with this person? And it's probably the chug test probably doesn't work for me because I don't chug wine. Well, not anymore. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, it's, the, it's the, uh, the red wine test. So that's uh, if you're in the oh, States, yeah, 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 uh, Ugly Works 345345. Awesome. But yeah, <laughs> but that's probably, if you ignore everything else that we've chatted about, clearing the cancer out of your life Huge. Uh, by eliminating those people is without a doubt the most powerful and productive. And that comes back to, again, and I think it was Peter that had been asking about money versus happiness. That's where the happiness comes in. You see, the beautiful thing is now I go to my office. I go to meet my team, everyone in there I love, okay? But we all know that there are people that we work with that we don't like, okay? So get rid of them because what happens is you end up walking into a room. You're not guarded. Pong gets off on that. It's the drug of choice. Get rid of the cancer in your life. You may find that it's people in your family. I've had people, and I had someone, a client that I was coaching, that was working with someone that they started working with just after high school. And then they split up and they came, and the guy was like, but he was my best friend at high school. 
well, yeah, but you also used to suck your thumb. You don't do that now, do you? So it doesn't necessarily mean what was was should be now. Hmm. People change. That was not a good relationship for you. At school, that was the cool kid. You know, and we've all seen the cool kids at school that are now, you know, not cool kids because they are now normal people, you know, and they got the same shit that we have. But there's still that element that you look up to them because they were the cool kid at college. Piss them off. They're not worth it in your life. Incredibly profound. Like that's, again, it's very impactful what you say. And that example of, you know, snapping at uh, people that you do care about, you know, that hit me in the face. That was an aha moment for me just then. So We've all done you. it. Thank you for that. And that's just that you're, you're, you're absolutely nothing that I've spoken about we haven't done. And <laughs> I may do it with, you know, some big names or in, you know, phenomenal environments. But everything that's being said, you can do with your local gardener or you can do it with the Pope. It's the exact same methodology. Your website, stevedsims.com. You've got yeah. the book, Blue Fishing. Yeah, sorry, people, MS, can, yeah. people can find uh, more about your business, Blue Fish, if they want to enroll in the Experience Club. And I noticed you got a new course out as well. I just, uh, when I was flicking through your website, which uh, says discover the 16 steps to networking with influencers and attracting high net worth clients. And I think anybody that's been listening to this for the last hour knows that this is what you do and this is this is your genius. So well worth investing in that, I'd say. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, last question to finish, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, thanks for opening up. The, the last question I ask all the guests because it um, it's a crowd favorite and it kind of yeah helps us get to know you even deeper, and it's about your dark side. So if you feel like being a little bit vulnerable, do you still have a dark side that you have to watch out for that can sneak up on you if you're, you're not careful? No. I try, you know, you mentioned the word authenticity. I don't believe I'm authentic. I believe I'm transparent. I'm incredibly easy to work with, easy to understand, easy to get on. And very quickly, you will know what pisses me off. Why? Because I'll more than likely tell you what pisses me off. So my dark side is probably being too much me and maybe always not the right time or the most appropriate time. So I have to sometimes go, oh, hang on. I just told that guy that that idea was stupid. Maybe I should have put it a different way. And then I'll go back to him and go, all right, I've already said that I stu- that idea is stupid, so I can't dig myself out of the hole, but let's take it from stupid to ingenious. Let's sit down and do something about it. So I think my, my dark side is being me a little bit too much. Yeah, there's such a thing as being too you. <laughs> yeah, I think so. There's a time, my wife says, there's a time and a place for Steve Sims. That's a great note to end on. Steve, again, it's a pleasure. You've been a huge impact on my life. Uh, I love everything you do. Uh, I hope we're going to be uh, friends and doing this again uh, a lot of times in the future. I really appreciate you coming on today. Cheers, pal. I did enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, guys, check out Steve's uh, website again, stevedsims.com. You can text UGLYWORKS. 345345 if you want to uh, hear more from Steve and if you like the episode please share it around give it a like leave some comments and I will love you guys forever that was the Nathan Seward show inspiring you to live an extraordinary life 